Welcome to the Today's Faith Matters podcast. I'm Josh Penner, and so excited today to be joined by our guest, Daniel Gilman, who was formerly on staff with RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. And um, as revelations have come to light about Ravi's sexual misconduct, Daniel's also been an outspoken critic of uh, the things that Ravi did, and really just standing up for truth. Uh, Daniel, is there anything else you'd like to share about yourself as we get started? No, that encompasses my life story pretty well. Thanks for having me on the show, Josh. So I'd be curious to start off, uh, but before we get into the misconduct, what is your background? Obviously, you, you worked for the organization as a writer and speaker, but what is your background and experience um, with the ministry itself? Sure. Well, I, I have to start at the beginning of my life. I, I was born into a wonderful Christian family. And I just, I loved Jesus from before I can remember. Um, some of my first words were prayers. Um, and, and as I was still a little kid, I, I came across issues like human trafficking and sexual abuse. Uh, my, my parents didn't try to shield my nine siblings and I from uh, the reality of those things, but would talk to us about the brokenness in this world and the goodness, like the, the wholesomeness of God his heart for justice, his heart for victims really captivated my childhood heart. And so as I grew up, I uh, just got involved in any way I could. First was uh, volunteering at a pregnancy center when I was still in high school and just any way that I could help victims and people who are hurting and marginalized. And so that led to kind of two separate career paths for me that I did simultaneously. Uh, while I was in university and then the years following, I worked at Parliament Hill, that's our Capitol building. So I got to work with members of Parliament here in Canada that we're fully focused on fighting human trafficking and sexual abuse, as well as other you know, human rights issues. I got to work as a speechwriter and a coordinator for their various MPs projects, and it was really meaningful. At the same time, uh, I, just as I wrapped up my master's, I looked at how the gospel inspired William Wilberforce and others to fight the slave trade. I got invited to intern at a church, and then I became a pastor of a church. So I was working both in politics on like human rights issues, as well as working as a pastor at a church for a number of years. And again, in that pastoral context, really caring for, uh, for broken and hurting people. And along the way there, I got one, um, I, uh, I should back up just around when I was 19 or 18, just as I was entering into Parliament Hill, still in my undergrad in history and philosophy, I was struggling with my faith. I loved God. But I feared that maybe the God I loved was just a, just a, but yeah, just a not real. And so I, I went to my dad. He's a great man of faith. And I said, Dad, how do I turn off these questions? Can I just numb these questions? And he said, Daniel, you only want to follow Jesus if he's real. So you can really look into it. And the truth can be cross-examined, could be thoroughly examined, and it will hold up to questioning. Um, but if it crumbles as you question it, then you should walk away from Christianity. I was frustrated with my dad because I just wanted him to give me some way to numb those questions. And instead, it launched me into deeper, further questioning. And at first, when I started looking more into the apologetics questions, I came across other people's questions that were even more rattling to me than the ones I'd come up with. But my dad was right. And as I examined it and, and I looked at a whole variety of, of views on it, I came across a number of people who all happen to work for RZIM. There's 100 speakers at RZIM. And it was just a it was so heartwarming to find that there's a, if I was being really intellectually honest, I could not only could I stay a Christian, but like I was compelled 
to believe in Jesus if I was being intellectually honest. So that's around when I was 19, 20, 21. And then by the time I was in my early 30s, I got a call from Arzadayam saying, hey, we've heard about your ministry and what you're up to in Canada. We want to invite you to consider joining our team. Um, so, I mean, it was more of a complicated process once they made that call of like examining me thoroughly for two years. And it was quite exhaustive. But July 2019, I joined the team. So I, I was only with the ministry for a year and a half. I think I gave you more than you asked just now in my little monologue. But yeah, yeah that's great. That's great background. Um, so many things that I'd be curious to ask. As somebody who, again, we talked about this a moment ago before we started recording, but, you know, before these allegations came to light, I think we both were people who really loved Ravi and his ministry. And so I just, for personal, I'd be curious, like, what was your response when you were invited and then when you started with that ministry? Because, and the reason why I ask is just, I think as a young, I think I might be a couple years older than you, but I think I would have thought at the time that that was the coolest thing basically that had ever happened. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a Canadian analogy. I don't know if it will resonate with American listeners, but when I got the, when I got the confirmation that I was getting hired, I, 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 the, my chest, like the, the pounding of my heart, I, it was so audible. I, I felt that I was, this is the Canadian analogy. It honestly was that I got called up to the NHL. Like for me in the apologetics world, like I, I loved apologetics. There was there was no team I could have more dreamed of ever getting to be part of. I, yeah, I I was I was shocked when when I when I got the original call from Abdu Murray that they were interested in in me. I I I remember I was in my office at Parliament and I just actually like sunk like out of my chair like onto my knees. And as he was talking to me, I just had my hand in the air, just like like in worship, just saying like God like. Not, not, not even odd. Simply that I got to be part of such an awesome team, but just like, it's like, man, God, you've been so faithful. I remember praying as a nineteen-year-old, so scared, like, God, if you're real, like, I need you to hold my trust. I need you to come through for me. I don't know if you're real. I love you, but I don't know if you're real. Please fight for my faith. Like, please keep my trust. And so the fact that it was like ten years later, and I was not only still a Christian, but at a place where I was going to be able to help other people wrestle through those same questions, just the, the faithfulness of God and the coolness of RZAM. I, I just, I was so in awe to join the team, um, which leads to something that um, a really tough thing for me to reckon with this past bunch of months has been when that call came, the allegations regarding Ravi's sexual abuse was already public concerning Lorianne Thompson. And um, before I spoke publicly, because I'd publicly praised Ravi um, and, and done a eulogies for him and tributes to him, um, I felt that before I could, yeah, I, I, I felt like I had to publicly, even while I was still on the team, publicly retract that stuff um, once the allegations really caught my attention. And so I, I had contacted Lorianne Thompson, the first public victim, and I expressed my, sense of corporate culpability uh, and uh, asked for her forgiveness for the fact that I had ignored her, ignored her voice when I joined the team. And she asked me the question, she said, hey, in light of the fact that you spent years working on issues of human trafficking and sexual abuse at Parliament Hill, how did you specifically not see through Ravi's narrative? How did you not listen to my voice at all? 
And to make it even more painful, I, I got a call from a pastor in Canada before, while I was praying about joining the team or not. And he said, Daniel, if you just look at the evidence, if you listen to Lorianne Thompson, you'll hear, you'll see that Ravi is guilty of, of serious sexual misconduct. And um, I, I didn't look into it. I thanked him for sharing his concern. I said, I, I really appreciate having friends who can, you know, not just tell me what I want to say, be my cheerleader, but challenge me. But yeah, um, one of the questions that, yeah, Lorianne asked me was like, she wasn't even asking as I got to push me away, but for my own well-being, just like, Daniel, have you actually figured out why it is that you are so quick to believe Ravi's defense? Yeah, that's powerful. And I think that's something that, you know, I mean, you obviously worked with the ministry, but I think for a lot of people who want to be thoughtful, who care about what is just and right, and who were fans of Ravi, and I would put myself in that group, um, and it's something that, that I've had to, to reckon with, you know, I, I feel ashamed that I feel like I didn't give enough credence to some of the initial rumblings that were coming out while Ravi was still alive, even. And um, so I think, you know, a lot of people probably have some soul searching to do on that. Um, I think one of the good ways to respond is to admit that we're also fallen and imperfect and, but, uh, you know, I'm a big believer that it's it's never too late to start speaking up for what's true and what's right, um, and that's one of the reasons why I appreciate how vocal you've been, and you know, as more and more information has come to light and being vocal um, and talking about the sins that Ravi committed and um, things that were covered up and yeah, well, I, I think something that like, people have pushed back every step of the way for why we're speaking about this. I'm grateful that you're willing to have a show about this. Uh, it's, it's so important for us to, to wrestle with these things. Uh, for all of us as a church in North America, sexual abuse is so systemic and so widespread within Christian contexts, like at RZAM. And so um, one, of, one of the first things I heard from people when I started speaking up on this, like, Daniel, Robbie's dead. Uh, why, like, even if he did it, uh, what's it going to do to talk about it? Two responses to that is, one, his victims are alive. Uh, Ravi's dead, but his victims are alive, and they deserve validation of their pain, and um, they they deserve justice. Um, second, like, Ravi did not commit any one of the countless numbers of sexual predatory criminal behavior that he did. None of it was committed in a vacuum, and he's dead. But like the the approaches to leadership, the approaches to victims, the approaches to women and girls. All of that, th those of us who were on the team are still alive. And if we're able to learn from this, hopefully we can help the church and help the ministries we're part of be a safer place for women and girls. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those are those are important things. And um, I, I think those are, are great points. And a, a third point that I've, because again, you're much more public as somebody who was on staff with the ministry, but I've even had people who have questioned me for why uh, why I make a big deal about this story. And, and again, those points are both significant. And also the fact that Ravi had a chance to address these things in his lifetime and actually lied and obfuscated the truth. And I don't feel like that gives you a free pass just forever um, that nothing can be questioned or looked into. Um, and Absolutely. 
the, the other thing people say a lot is like, how come these allegations came out just after he died? Like, doesn't that sound suspect? But two things on that. One, uh, allegations came forward while he was alive. There's three different uh, ones that I know for sure. There's two um, where the female victim, two different female victims in Canada came forward while he was alive. If they would have been listened to, then all the women in the following years who he harmed would have not been harmed. Uh, but he harmed women. The official report from RZAM from Miller Martin shows that he hurt people, uh, sexually abused women, even in 2020. Like even like all the way, all of that would have been stopped if they were listened to. Uh, so women did come forward who were uh, who were not listened to. And uh, there's also a senior senior staff person uh, in the Asia Pacific office who had confronted Ravi and uh, spoke to the board in 2008 and 2012, and he was ignored as well. So people did come forward while he was alive with allegations. Um, but the second is to, to write off the like, oh, well, we don't need to deal with this because they should come forward while he's alive, is to completely not understand the how powerless many survivors of sexual abuse feel. Like the, the, the way that Ravi was able to do what he did in so many of, the, of these cases is because he was the, one of, he was the world's most famous Christian after Billy Graham passed away. I think Ravi is probably the most famous Christian um, the, the prestige, the power, he's part of a, a huge global multi-million dollar company or ministry. Uh, he, like, the, 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 the prestige and the power that comes with being Ravi Zacharias, uh, he, he actually used that to be able to uh, abuse these women. And then in light of that power differential, like these women, like they, they've just been sexually abused by a hero to so many Christians they were not going to feel safe to come forward and, and say any of that stuff until like the fact that he had died is one of the contributing factors to why they finally found their voice. And, and so for us to condemn these women for not coming forward earlier is to show how much we don't understand about sexual abuse. Yeah, that's, that's very important. And I appreciate your, your insights on that. And I'd be curious, you mentioned a little bit about your background and experience that a lot of work you had done prior to working with the ministry actually dealt with things like human rights. And um, I'd be curious, you know, that, that just seems like such a, you know, it's, it's interesting the way that God equips us and prepares us for things like that. It seems like such an interesting background you have and then to have worked with the ministry where it became such a prominent issue um i guess the first part of the question would be i mean do you feel like you've been um how do i say this do you feel like with your experience now that you're in a position where you, you can have a voice that can be helpful in pointing others to the realities of these types of abuses. Yeah. Um, one of the things, uh, as I wrestled through the fact that there was not a lot of us at RZAM who were really speaking up for these women, honestly. And as my wife and I were like wrestling through some of the disappointment in not seeing uh, more people actually like speak up or ask questions on the team. Um, one of the things that kind of, was helpful for us was to realize like i'm not one of the few that spoke up on the team because i'm any nicer any kinder any more heart for justice any of those things i think it's just that i was informed uh i was i like 
I, I wish I, I should have been informed enough to have seen through the narrative a few years earlier before joining the team. But, but when the spa allegations came up in, on, in um, September 29th, 2019, uh, because I already had been informed on some of these things and was familiar with some of the dynamics of sexual abuse and how we should respond. As I read Daniel Silliman's piece, it, it resonated in a way that, um, that helped me be able to see through the false narrative of our ZAM and be able to start advocating for truth and advocating for these women. Um, that should be something helpful for all of us, I think, because we all have a responsibility to make sure we're informed on this stuff. Uh, my dad, when I was growing up, would always say, naivety is evil. And I always thought, I, 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 I was always that kid. I was like, dad, calm down. <laughs> like what you're calling naive. I, I think really the person just innocent, like it's all good. But my dad's like, no, there's a difference between innocent and naive and naive is evil. My dad's real intense and I love it about him. And seeing the RZM situation affirms and confirms what my dad said. Naivety is evil. And I was chatting with some of the leaders at RZM who I have previously been so blessed by incredible speakers, wonderful apologists, and bungling this so hard, like re-traumatizing the victims of Ravi through the way that they were just continuing to praise Ravi and praise Ravi and uh, yeah, just make, make harmful decisions over the months of the investigation. And, and I was chatting with one, again, this guy has meant the world to me and I was ch chatting with him and challenging him on some stuff. And he was like, Daniel, like, there's no, like, like, I have no experience with this kind of stuff. Like, there's, you know, like, there's, there's no class and, you know, and he's on his way to his PhD. Like, there's no class on any of this. Like, I've, I've never been educated in this. So, like, cut me some slack that, like, this is, you know, be, oh, I'm out of my depths. And this is, you know, uh, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. You know, I, I can be honest about that. But look, like, when he accepted the position of, of leadership in a huge global ministry, and like when we know that one third of girls in North America are sexually abused by the time they're 18, that's not even counting the abuse happens after they're 18. Uh, there's female staff members. For sure, he has staff who've already been sexually abused, completely like separate from the Ravi situation. Like every single one of us has, a, has, has an obligation to be informed on these things. There's no, like, there's no pastor in North America or anywhere in the world who should be able to say, that like oh well i'm just not informed on this like like go out get informed it's it's not that hard to have the the information the education we need to be able to um respond in a much healthier way and so yeah i it's the same for pastors it's true for anyone in management of any ministry if you're working with human beings you're working with people who have been or will be sexually abused and we have to be ready to be victim-centered and helpful Yeah, that's powerful. And, yeah, uh, yeah there, there really is an obligation to continue to grow and to learn about these things. And um, now you mentioned, I think the day was like September 29th, 2019, when the report came right, out. 2019, 2020, I definitely was by a year. Um, for you, is that the moment where it couldn't, you know, like it couldn't be any other explanation than there's validity to all of this? Yeah, it was actually a bit of a, um, uh, yeah, so I, I'm reading the article. So I was, uh, because of COVID, I'm working from home in my kitchen. Sure. Uh, my wife and I both at the table. And I see someone from my own church that I absolutely love and respect. 
she posted this some some Christianity Today piece ripping on Ravi. And like Christianity Today has given Ravi a hard time over the past several years, um, including like after he died in their in their like article about his death and his life. They made sure to talk about the Lorian Thompson stuff and, and the case and uh, the uh, his uh, allegations that he had inflated his credentials and. I, you know, I just felt like, like, why does CT have such an axe to grind against my my man, Ravi? And so I see my friend on September 29th post something critical of him from Christianity Today. And I said to my wife, what? what? Why is Jen posting this? And so I clicked on this thing and I start reading. And all of a sudden, as I'm reading, I'm like, Alexandra, that's my wife's name. Alexandra, it might be true. It actually might be true. And she was like, no, are you serious? Why do you, why do you say that? So I'm like, look, that this this is concrete evidence and then that was tuesday night when thursday morning i was chatting with a colleague in atlanta the hq and we're just chatting about a bunch of other stuff and i was walking to work and i it was carson he's been pretty outspoken to and and so i'm like carson what do you think about this and i asked him because i was i was i actually i think i said to my wife on the thursday morning i was like up until now i'm open to whatever that, that truth can be truth can be anything on this but I'll be surprised if Ravi's guilty. And then after reading the September 29th piece, it's like, Alexandra, I think I might actually be surprised if he's innocent. Like, I think he's probably guilty. And I was crazy, but I, I was, yeah. So I'm walking to work, I'm chatting with Carson. I'm like, Carson, what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on the situation? And Carson goes, Daniel, like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be vulnerable with you, but you need to commit to not tell anybody uh, at this time. I need you to keep it completely confidential. In my mind, like I'd, I'd never heard anyone at RZM ever express any question or doubt about Ravi. And so I, I, obviously I know where this is going if he wants confidentiality. I'm like, what? Sure. I'm like, Carson, like, like I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll keep it confidential. Um, and he's like, Daniel, I believe the allegations against Ravi. And right then my phone died. And I'm like, oh man, poor Carson. My phone always, like, I don't charge it enough. So I'm going to work. I'm like, oh no, Carson's going to think I hung up on him. <laughs> when I heard it. So I was like, oh no. So I'm just walking even faster to work. It's a pretty far walk through Toronto. And then I get to the office. I was the first person there. And I don't, I don't know my password into the office without like, I always just remember, like go to my phone. It reminds me of my, my code to code in. And I'm like, oh man, I can't even get in now. Carson's just waiting, thinking like, Daniel hung up on me. But anyways, eventually I got in the office. I charged my phone, called Carson back and said, I, I, I thought so too. Um, and he was, I was not upset with him, but no, I would, I tell all that to say, most of that's irrelevant. Um, I hope somewhat funny, but most of what the point of all that is, it, it really was once I, I, I heard like a, a source outside of myself, like on the team, Carson say, Dan, I've wrestled with the evidence. He actually had been wrestling with it for even before the CT piece came out. And he had looked through the, the publicly available evidence on Lorianne Thompson and had already concluded like, it's clear if you match, if you look at Ravi's story versus Lorianne Thompson's story, hers, is true and so um yeah so he walked me through way more than the cc article and by the time i'd hung up with the phone with with carson like um I, I i yeah i didn't have any more uncertainty about the case i was pretty convinced um and so at that point carson and myself uh, and then uh, over the next couple of days a handful of others um all began seeking how we could actually like, advocate for these women's voices to be heard That's that's an incredible story. Um, Sorry for monologuing so much. One of my no, goals. that's great. That's great. I mean, that's that's a great story. 
what what was your like emotional reaction when when you started to believe it um i mean was it sadness was it i mean like what what do you feel when somebody who you have looked up to and who's so respected um when the veneer gets tarnished yeah i you know i i don't think like yeah there's so many emotions um, in some ways, I think the shock of it all delayed some of my emotional engagement. It, it honestly is more in, in recent, in the recent weeks that it's really beginning to, the weight of all that is beginning to really hit me. Um, but yeah, it's so much pain. However, um, Carson, myself, Sam Albury, Max Baker Heitch, Ruth Maltra, uh, um, in our in our conversations from from that like October first moment um, till the present time, we would remind ourselves at, at every possible turn in conversation to be victim centered. And so, although for sure, like uh, for a variety of reasons and a variety a variety of trauma a variety of traumas, I'm seeing a grief therapist right now, but and she's one of the griefs is the grief of um, Ravi being uh, a sexual predator. But we were always trying to remind ourselves, like, let's not feel bad for ourselves. Let's not waste time on, on, on our grief as much as like, like the, the number one grief we have about this is that these women were harmed. And like, I would get texts as soon as the September 29th article came out from Dale Solomon, I was getting texts from friends and family and random people, I'm not sure who, who were texting and saying, Dale, we're like, we're praying for you. We're so sorry for you. And our text back was always, okay, first, like, thank you, but you're pleased that our most frequent prayers be for the women and girls who've been harmed. Number two, let our prayers and our heart be for those who have come to faith through Ravi and are going to be so rattled and shattered in their faith because of this. And then, yeah, three, let's, let's be praying for us and the family that was on the team. But like in many ways, those of us on the team have like, we've, our lives have been so enriched and literally enriched. Like, that we have been paid, we have been um, gotten platform, we've gotten so much from the fraudulence of Ravi. Um, I, I, my least concerns for those of us who uh, like, we, we can't afford grief therapy and we do have the resources for this. I'm much more concerned for those who've been, whose lives have been crushed by Ravi's predatory sexual abuse. Uh, they're the ones who need, who really deserve our care. Amen, it's so important. and. So, so healthy to, to remember, you know, first and foremost, victims and um, again, especially when there are still people who want to continue to ignore them and want to continue to lift up Robbie um, as this great figure. And, um, and every time that's a, yeah. a slap in the face to, to his victims. Absolutely. Yo, there was, um, the, uh, at RZM, in light of COVID canceling so many things and all that kind of stuff, uh, they were, they went, we went more digital last year. And so they were picking a different speaker around the world to do something called take five. We do a five minute video for Monday through Friday of a week. And, um, yeah, was, I've, I've, I'm so new. I'm so junior. I'm so young. You mentioned at the start, I'm a writer. Uh, I I'd, I'd love to be a writer and I've written a little bit, but I'm, I'm hardly can say that I'm a writer. I've written some blogs for the, for the team, but I, I'm so junior. But that's all to say that I, I had I, I, find, I got to have a take five week 
And I, I spent like a, a, an immense amount of time and energy and tears into trying to make an excellent take five. So five videos that are five minutes each on tough questions of the Old Testament. And uh, it took several months of production and stuff. Finally, they went live. And the week they went live in the first week of September is before the Daniel Solomon article. But it was the week that Steve Boffman, also known as the Banjo Atheist, released a YouTube video talking about these spa allegations. And RZAM ended up withholding a couple of the videos I made. They've never seen the light of day, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that the first of the, of the two videos they withheld, um, in it, I was talking about Lot and his daughters. I think it's Genesis 19, if my memory is true. Genesis 19. Right. Um, yeah, so um, I, my, my, the question, the apologetic question I was, asking, I was answering was, why are there gross stories in the Bible? Isn't it supposed to be a holy book? And I quoted uh, my colleague, Dr. Joe Vitelli, uh, she has this magnificent quote, and one line from that quote that I had shared in that take five was um, that God includes such grotesque stories in the Bible to show us that he will not participate in a religious cover-up. And so when that piece was like with, with hell and has never been published by RZAM, I was like, oh man. And uh, yeah, uh, the other one was dealing with Hagar, Hagar and Hosea. Um, and I talked about the, the story of Hagar prostituting herself and Hosea's um, committed love to her. And I just wasn't understanding why they, they was flagged for like addressing issues of, of prostitution or something and sex trafficking. And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure as a ministry, we should be able to address that, especially if Ravi's innocent. Um, but yeah, to find out later that the extent of Ravi's stuff and just be like, anyways, the ministry should not have, I do not think should have been uh, withholding videos that were clearly saying that God will not participate in religious cover-up and affirming how the beauty in the Bible being honest about um, people who we have on such a pedestal and then have uh, done sinful and criminal behavior. Um, yeah, if, if RZAM was trying to, to really like um, follow God's, God's way of uh, being honest and transparent about such things, uh, I think we would have handled the whole investigation quite differently. Yeah, that's so, uh, so, it would have been so ironic and providential if the video had come out like the day before the Christianity Today article. Um, I know. That, that is, and I think that's part of the reason why some Christians want to undermine or kind of hide these things, because sometimes I feel like it's almost like we act like we're God's PR team. Um, and God doesn't need PR. Yeah. Yeah. It, and so like anything that is bad, like we just need to embrace reality, it, you know, being up front, I think looks so much better to the world than trying to hide things, which just compounds the sinfulness. Yeah. What well, people will disagree with this and that's totally fine. It's just my opinion, but like, I don't believe that RZAM is, um, I don't believe that RZAM is evaporating right now because of Ravi's criminal behavior. I believe that the ministry is evaporating right now because of the way the ministry responded to the women who brought forward these allegations. Um, uh, following the Daniel Solomon piece, I wrote an email to uh, headquarters um, and I shared with them like, look, um, Larsh Canada is a Catholic ministry. It's huge in Canada, not as big as RZAM globally, but like it's probably bigger than RZAM in Canada in Canada. And, uh, yeah, so they're, they're a big ministry. They work with people, adults with um, uh, intellectual disabilities. Uh, it's super cherished in Canada. And their founder, John Vanier, 
is a, a legend in Canada. He's passed away, like Ravi's passed away. And um, allegations came out more than a year ago that uh, the founder had committed sexual abuse. And Larsh Canada handled it in such a victim-centered, transparent, beautiful way. Um, I believe, as far as I understand that they're doing better today as a ministry than they ever have. Donations are, are strong. Uh, doors for ministry are open wide. They're thriving. Uh, and it's because they didn't circle the wagons around Jean Vanier. They circled the wagons around the, the women and girls who'd been hurt. And so I, I, I studied that and I, I, I distilled it to four uh, key things that they did. And I wrote an email to headquarters saying, here's four things that Larsh Canada did. We can follow the template they've set for us. And regardless of Ravi's guilt or innocent, the ministry is going to be able to continue to flourish and serve around the world. Um, but fundamental to all four action items is being victim-centered. And um, yeah, uh, Sam Albury, he's a renowned speaker on the team. He was one of the, the squad of people who were really advocating for the women and girls' voices to be heard. And he said uh, in our first conversation about Ravi and all the stuff on like October 2nd, he said to me, Daniel, for me, the question isn't, is Ravi who he said he was, but are we who we say we are? Are we RZAM who we say we are? And um, yeah, the, the, the way that we had handled it over the, the months leading up to um, even to the present day, I think shows that, that we're not who we say we are. One, one of the biggest things about that is uh, two things I would say, sorry, from, is it okay if I keep monologuing? You're good. Sorry. Um, two things that are just like not who RZAM says we are is one of our unofficial mottos we use for all our team conferences is no question off limits. And like we use it enough that it's not just for team conferences. Like you're, you want to ask a buddy a question on the team, like, hey, do you want no question off limits, right? Like it's, it's who we are. And um, yeah, I, I, I received a call from one of the top brass uh, after a global staff call where the purpose of that call, the only purpose of that call is to ask questions about the allegations. And I'd ask some questions about whether or not we were going to be consulting with victim advocates. Uh, we, 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 they told us how they're consulting with PR experts. And I asked, uh, I said, hey, I'm grateful. I love the PR expert who they'd brought in, uh, Mark DeMoss. Uh, I've, I have a lot of respect for him. I said, is there any chance we're also going to consult with victim advocates to help us be victim-centered, not just PR-focused, victim-centered in our response. I got a call from top brass the next day saying, uh, it was 90 minutes rebuking me for my question, telling me that, um, yeah, that I can expect to be let go if I keep asking questions like this, that I have to make a decision, encouraging me to consider if I would just resign. It, it made no sense in light of how gentle the question was about asking about a victim-centered response. Um, it was, yeah. Anyway, so that, that's one thing. It just, uh, like at RZM, I felt safe to express any doubts I had about Jesus. Um, I wasn't like, I've been in a few times a year, we all get together as apologists and we share how we're doing when I walk with God, it's really healthy. And I've seen some of the most senior people I love and respect on the team. I have a bunch of their books up on my shelf, um, break down in tears saying that they're struggling with their faith, that they, they, they feel like they're not saved and, and, and like really burns out. And, and the team just lovingly surrounded them, cared for them, was able to remove events and stuff so that they had space to be able to work through stuff. And I can testify that person is thriving today, confident in their faith. Um, they were beat up, they're doing well. So I always knew that if I was to have doubts in God, like I'd, I, I could express doubts about Jesus on the team, I'd be fine. So we could doubt Jesus at our ZAM, but we... We're not able to question Ravi at RZAM. 
Uh, again, I was threatened multiple times uh, with getting fired if I asked the questions that were predicated on any sense of shred of belief that Ravi could be guilty. So one thing that's just not true about us is that no question was off limits. And then the second is that Ravi always called us a team of compassionate evangelists. And just the, the way that we handled from Lorian Thompson uh, in 2017, all the way through 2020, all of 2020, when the allegations came forward, it was just so much about circling the wagons around Ravi. And uh, even like up in Canada, um, we were, uh, Ravi had come up with a book uh, around the time that he passed away. And so like we were sending his book to all, all over Canada, not only to like, we're sending it to donors, we're sending it to church contacts that we found like with a, like, Hey, let's like, I'd like to introduce ourselves to you. Let us know if we can ever speak at your thing. Like we're just sending these books everywhere. Um, and we were, we were doing a, a, a Christmas event and uh, we were going to do a giveaway of his book. And, and I, I talked to my manager and said, Hey, if we as a team have launched an investigation into Ravi being a sexual predator like we're, we're, it's, there's enough evidence that we think he might be and so we're looking into it and if we're serious that we think he may have sexually assaulted women how are we still giving away his book we don't have to say we don't have to throw away the book right now but maybe we can put that on pause if we're like serious I try to say it in a more gentle deferential way um but yeah totally like not received uh, another colleague of mine uh, another speaker who felt the same way uh, asked um, our, our like our, the boss boss and he was told uh, by a top person in Canada he was told like hey if this is how you feel then maybe this isn't the right team for you uh, just because he said like hey like I just I think that um, if there are people who have been sexually abused totally separate from Ravi and they know that there's a serious investigation into him that, that we have launched and yet we're still like happy celebrating him and giving away his book like how not compassionate that is um, could be really harmful to the way people perceive, not just ours at AM, but the way they see the one we're speaking about, which is Jesus. So I don't feel like we're a team of compassion evangelists. Yeah, that's really important. Um, I can ask one more question. You mentioned that you had sent an email and um, I don't know if you remember all the examples, but you know, you talked about the healthy way it could have been handled of being victim focused rather than personality focused with Ravi. What are the things that you think the ministry could have done that would have been God honoring and honoring to the victims and um, served everyone well? Yeah. So I'm, so first I'll, I'm putting up the email right now so I can tell you real quick what they are. I'm not an expert at all. One, one of the, one of the things that one of the, the like things, one, one of the like informed responses to sexual abuse should always be to try to involve the experts, whether that's like, yeah, professional psychotherapists who are trauma informed, or that is to involve law enforcement. Uh, churches have made an absolute life shattering mess when pastors, people like myself, if we've tried to handle this as if we're experts and as if we can just deal with it in-house. Uh, so I just want to say straight up, like this is not expert advice. This is just me trying to point my bosses toward something that can be helpful. So my, the four points that um, I suggested was a public number one, a public statement from Mars IDM saying that if anyone had experienced sexual abuse from Ravi, that we would invite them to come forward and contact investigation. Mars IDM did not release a public call for victims until last week. Like the, the report's been done for a month, more than a month now. 
um, our first, yeah. So we we should have had a call for victims, inviting people forward, assuring them that they'll be cared for and like they're not going to get slammed and destroyed like we tried to do to Lorian Thompson. Number two, an internal statement to all our ZM employees stating that if anyone has experienced sexual abuse from Ravi, that we'd like them to share their story with the investigation and that our leadership would like to hear from them and that we will provide every support for them. Um, that was not done. And yeah, I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Number three, um, uh, Ravi's daughter was, is the, was the CEO and the chair of the board. Um, Ravi's wife was on the board. Uh, another one of Ravi's daughters is a, is a vice president and the director of a whole wing of RZAM. Uh, like the board was handling the, like this investigation stuff. Um, I was just, number point three was to ask family members to step aside and recuse themselves from all matters pertaining to the investigation. I wasn't even asking for them to resign from the board, just to step away from making decisions about it. Um, this is really important because like when we have those global calls, I had a female staff member say, hey, there was questions I wanted to ask, um, but I just couldn't do it in front of Sarah and not only in front of Sarah, but to Sarah, not because I have any problem with Sarah, but because I love her. And I just, I don't feel, I just can't find my voice to ask questions about her dad being a, a sexual predator. And that's totally fair. Um, yeah, so point three would have been, people on the team would have been able to probably find their voice and more people could have advocated for these women had family members stepped aside. Um, I'll say uh, when, when she asked that question, it was another reminder to me, like I also have loved and respect Sarah, but um, the fact that I was one of the people who was able to ask some of these victim-centered questions, I think is precisely because I'm so new to the team. Uh, like I'm, I'm, some have asked like, Daniel, do you think you've earned, do you think you paid the time that you've earned the right to like really be someone speaking up about this stuff, even getting on a podcast? Like, I was hardly ever on the team. I was there for a year and a half. Um, well, I just think that probably one reason that I was able to uh, be among um, among those who actually like believe the women fairly early on is just because I had been on the team less. Anyways, I'm getting distracted. Uh, my fourth point, let's see, I'm just looking at the email. Oh, yeah. So the fourth one was that uh, the initial public response that RZM did to these allegations was on September 15th, 2020. And it had said like, we... There's something to the effect of like, we, the board and the colleagues of Ravi Zacharias believe these allegations to be false. They pertain to businesses that have been closed for over 10 years um, because it was spas uh, that had been closed for over 10 years that Ravi had, that, that the first that those allegations were about. That's all to say, uh, Sam Aubrey uh, had, had taken issue with the fact that it says like, we believe these allegations to be false. But like Sam and I and others believe them to be true. And so the fact that we released a statement, not just on behalf of the board, but we released a statement um, on behalf of us, I was saying that we believe them to be false itself is a lie. And our statement is committed to truth. So Sam was really concerned about that. I, I was concerned about that next sentence that said they pertain to businesses that have been closed for so long. And so I expressed a concern about how one of the number one fears that victims of sexual abuse often feel is that it has been so long since the incident happened, they hadn't felt comfortable telling anybody. And so they won't be believed if they ever do come forward. It's one of the reasons so many victims stay completely silent about their abuse. And so the fact that we as a Christian ministry that's so respected for our intellectual stuff, so respected for the Christian worldview, is gonna say, we believe that they're false because a woman took a long time to come forward, is perpetuating a rape myth. 
it's perpetuate like people People who've not been hurt by Ravi, but have been hurt by others, are going to think, well, if these women aren't believed by, by our ZAM, who we have so much respect for, no one's going to believe me in my incident with my local pastor. And so, yeah, I just thought it was an extremely harmful statement. And so, yeah, point four was for us to uh, re release a, a public apology for that statement and to clarify and to really reorient ourselves to be clearly like victim-centered, open to the truth. Um and there's so many, like, as we went on, there's so much more that we, we, we was on, like, the list from people on the team who were saying, this would be a healthy response about the investigation. But that was my initial four. Josh, I'm legit so sorry for monologuing so much. I'm yeah. going to continue to work on my need to be succinct. No, you're good. And again, I appreciate those answers and stories. And um, it's all just so interesting to, to hear your perspective on that. And I really appreciate your time. And um Again, Before we go, yeah, of course. I recommend a couple books that will be Absolutely. so helpful. Okay, a um, couple of them are right here. Okay, one of them, A Church Called Tove. Don't agree with everything, but I've learned so much from this book. A Church Called Tove, Forming Goodness Cultures by Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. And it is so helpful. It came out October 2020. It's so helpful for how we as Christian communities, as Christians, as churches should be dealing with issues of sexual abuse. Another one by Wade Mullen is, uh, it's called Something's Not Right. And it is a phenomenal book. It's very, it's a very quick read. It's a phenomenal book on how we should be responding to allegations of sexual abuse or any type of abuse. Solid 1010. Another one is Redeeming Power by Dr. Diane Langberg. It's another fairly quick read, pretty quick, very quick read. And it's, it's about, it's about the abuse of power. So it deals with sexual abuse issues as well as spiritual abuse and various abuse um, within Christian context. Redeeming power, it's right in the name. Although a bunch of the book is about uh, the, the way that power is misused among Christians. It also is a very hopeful book about how those of us in leadership positions who are speakers or whatever are able to leverage the trust we've been given to actually help our communities be safer and healthier and more wholesome. Um, another one that people really need to read, it's a tough read, I think it's the toughest of any of these, is Rachel Hollander's What is a Girl Worth? It's her own story, and it's chock full of, of insights that are going to help you be able to respond and recognize, recognize harm and respond to it in a way better way. I was actually reading that book when this all came to light, and I think it, that just that's one of the reasons I was able to like reorient myself to be trying to advocate for these women. Um, I feel like I'm boring listeners, but there's another one by Dr. Dan Langberg called Suffering in the Heart of God. It's the longest of any of the books I'm recommending, but it's so good. Um, can I keep going? Sure, absolutely. Yo, another book right here, Lead by Paul David Tripp, uh, somewhere here. It's um, Lead by Paul David Tripp. So, I mean, a lot of those books are doing, dealing with like responding to abuse and stuff, but you and I want to make sure, all of us listening, want to make sure that, our, that like none of this is happening in the first place. And so the book Lead, it deals with, um, it deals with how do we, like, like so many uh, of our pastors, people in leadership, we are setting them up to make really toxic decisions. And so the book Lead is about how we should approach leadership, and not just those who are leaders, but like how the people around those leaders should approach the whole issues of how we're like organized and how leadership happens in a way that, that our leaders are more healthy, that our leaders aren't using people up in their own isolation and stuff. It's, it's a really good book. 
Um, and then one more, not by Christian, but by the former CEO of Dunkin' Donuts, the challenge culture. I really believe that if leadership at RZAM would have read and embraced this book, that so many women and girls would not have been harmed. And that Ravi, the best thing that would have ever happened to Ravi would have been if, if like he'd actually been caught. And so the challenge culture deals with Dunkin' Donuts as a case study and how we can be following their example of being a place where no question is off limits. You can actually like ask a, a tough questions and, and hold people accountable and stuff. It's those books, I was just reading through them as I was working through like, how do I try to make sense of all that's happened and how do I try to make sure that I'm part of the solution instead of part of the problem in the future? Such good books. Those are great recommendations. We'll definitely link to those in the episode notes. Once again, I feel like I could ask you questions all day, but I, I appreciate your time. And again, just your experience and um, trying to be a positive part of the solution in regard, you know, in response to something really tragic. Well, Josh, thanks so much for addressing this issue on the show. And again, we all need to just keep doing everything we can to make sure that we're like Jesus who says that like a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Uh, Jesus says about his own heart that he is gentle and lowly. Like he is, he is so concerned with the well-being of those who've been crushed. And yeah, Christian ministries have so often been focused on, um, on really like being centered around uh, our, our favorite speakers. Can I just share one more thing or are we out of time? Of course. No, like I said, I've got all day. Oh, bro. Um, just last week, I received a call from uh, in a, uh, nothing to do with our ZAM, except it was about sexual. Uh, I don't know what the right word is. Um, I don't I don't like referring to what Ravi did as sexual misconduct, because like there was so much of it was actually predatory, sex, criminal sexual abuse. Like it's it's misconduct is so much less in, in some ways than like yeah. what he did, um, though that is the word that it's often been used about it. Um, in this case, I don't believe what, what my understanding of, of what I was being, what someone called me about was not a situation of something criminal, but there, there was a, a person in leadership who had definitely like broken trust. And um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it definitely broken trust. And um, there was a, a young person that, that was um, caught up in that. And so um they'd called about, there was various people involved in this and they weren't seeing eye to eye on how to handle it. So they'd called me, they're like, and like all the Ravi stuff, like what, what's your thoughts? Um, so um, like my primary thing was, I'm not an expert. Uh, I'm passionate about this, not an expert. So I actually uh, got them to connect with uh, a, a true licensed expert on this. And they were able to have like a real, like real help from them to how to walk this out in a way that is good. Um, but number two, I, I challenged one of these people who's on the phone with me for an hour discussing it. And I said, hey, I got a call from another one of the, the leaders yesterday. I got a call from you. Uh, so this is a second hour all about like what needs to be done for the, the man that betrayed trust to rebuild trust. What, what needs to be like, that, That's what they're really interested in. Like, damn, can you give us some, what are the steps, what are the, the, the ways that he can rebuild trust and be able to uh, serve again? And I said, like, this is actually really disturbing to me that we're spending two hours trying to figure out how this guy can rebuild trust when a young woman was, was hurt in, in, in all of this. And neither of you have taken any time to really discuss her well-being or what we can do for her. 
And, and it just reminded me, like, we are so quick to try to really circle the wagons around, try to find, like, how can we, uh, like, we're just very oriented around the, 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 the person in leadership who, um, who's ministered to us, who's teaching me love, who that kind of thing, and, like, forget to take time to listen to the one who's actually brought forward the allegations, who's, who's been crushed and harmed. And if I would have approached that very thing properly back in like 2017, I would have actually taken the time to find out what was Lorianne Thompson's narrative and be able to listen and hopefully have seen through the fraudulent narrative from Ravi and been part of the solution before like several years ago. Um, and so I just, yeah, we all need to really be aware of this so that we can make our churches like Jesus, victim-centered. Again, that's, I think it's all very, very important to do. And again, to, to learn from it. I think for a lot of Christians, it's an opportunity to, to learn and to be wiser. You know, sadly, these stories happen far more often than they should. Um, and um, when these events do happen, when these abuses do happen, I think it's a helpful uh, clarification that, you know, when we really kind of lessen the severity when we just call out sexual misconduct, um, that, he really had a pattern of, of abuse. And that's actually, I think, part of the reason, too, why people who want to undermine this and ask, well, he's dead, so why even focus? Because there might have actually been real crimes committed. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're not lawyers, um, but, you know, there, there are certain things that might need to be looked into um, that, you know, especially I think of the report. Um, and, you know, I, I won't speculate, but... So, yeah, I think those are helpful distinctions to make. And um, again, I just am so appreciative of your time and your insights into this. And uh, thanks, Josh. You can you can tell that I, I I don't have my job at RZM anymore. That I'm just like taking any opportunity I can to just like monologue as if I miss preaching and speaking and stuff. But uh, no, I so appreciate you giving me the time and to process with you and to talk about this stuff. So thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. And I hope you have a blessed day. And um, I, I, I hope that you continue to heal well. You mentioned, you know, counseling, things like that. I'm sure this has been a tough thing for you. You know, I think it's good to focus on the victims, but for you as well, that, that I hope that this is something that you continue to be able to um, grow from in a, in a healthy way going forward. Absolutely. Um, and I guess it's worth saying as we close up to I shared about Lori Ann Thompson asking that, that tough question that had me reflect, uh, but she's also from the immediately been so, um, so welcoming and so, um, so forgiving. And um, yeah, she's become, she's become like a genuine uh, dear friend to my wife and I, and um, we get to FaceTime with her, speak with her pretty regularly. And um, I, I'm, I'm really humbled by the way that she has um, been, been willing to, yeah, been willing to to let some of us stars that I am really, um, uh, like been been willing to believe us that 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 we have repented from having ignored her voice and let let us walk with her. And she's um, it's a it's it's a a whole other podcast episode worth to look at how her persistence and refusal to give up, refusal to be silenced, is what allowed all of these other women. To be able to find their voice um it's it's because when they had 
Googled her like to see if anything, anyone else had ever been harmed and they came across mm -hmm. her story, they were able to like, it's, it's because she was willing to be vulnerable and persistent in sharing her painful story that all these other women were able to come forward. So she's a, such a legend to my wife and I, and yeah, I just, she's yeah, amazing. But anyways, I should stop talking. I'll let you wrap up the show. Thank you so much again. And, um, and I agree. And, uh, Again, just appreciate all of your insights that you have and on uh, this really difficult situation. Thanks, Josh.